Yes, we are, uh, we are taking this month to focus strictly on relationships. February is the, the month of love. And so we're going we're gonna to do a whole series on relationships this month. And the, the, the series title for this month is called Hashtag Relationship Goals. Uh, now, for those of you that don't understand what a hashtag is, you think that looks like a tic-tac-toe sign, uh, go talk to a middle schooler and they'll explain to you what it means. But uh, nevertheless, we're going to be talking about relationship goals this month. And, and I'm very, very excited because I believe that we were all created for relationship. Amen? Every one of us is created to be in relationship. We are not designed to be alone. We're designed to live in community with other believers. It's, it's the plan God has for us. And there's a couple of verses I want to share with you quickly that are going to kind of be my theme for the whole month that I'm going to be referring back to weekly. And I want to share those with you before I get started here. Uh, the first one is in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Amen to that. So we, we see through this passage here that God's plan for us is that we would not be alone. That we would be together with people. This is not just talking about marriage. It's not just talking about a husband and wife scenario. It's talking about relationships in general. And God has called us to that. He wants us to, to work together, to be together. He's designed for us to thrive together. The other verse is in Genesis 2.18. It says, the, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, obviously we use this verse all the time to talk about marriage. And it's good for man to find a wife. Amen. Men in the house, amen? amen? All right. It is good. But that's not just what he's talking about here. God is, this is the first time in the Bible that God says something about his creation that's not good. Everything else he created was good. But then he looks down and he says, okay, this is not good that, that Adam is alone. He said, I'll create a helper for him. And it wasn't just about him creating a wife for him. Because if it was, Adam and Eve would have just been married and have been husband and wife. And that would have probably been the end of it. But he, he told him to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And it was because we're designed to live in community like that. We're designed to have a relationship with each other. You know, this was before the fall. So there was no sin. So Adam was freely conversing with God. There was, there was no need for repentance. Adam was completely pure before the fall. And God still looked at him and said, okay, it's not good enough that he is alone. So even God is saying it's not good for us to only have a relationship with him. He wants us to have a relationship with each other. That's an encouraging thing to me. That's an exciting thing. Because sometimes we can feel like, oh, you know, it's just me and God. Just me and God. I don't need people. I just need Jesus. That's all I need. That's not his plan. Now, his plan is that he would be first. Amen. But not the only. And so God has designed us for that. And, and you know, the, the theme we have for this year, this 52 Rise and Build, that's what that's about. It's about us working together as a community, coming together to rise and build, to build this church to build our communities together, to be, a, to be a light, to be a city on a hill, to work together so that we, can, that we can see this city, see this whole area, one for Jesus, and to work together to do it. In fact, we, uh, we have these magnets that we, you might have seen them out in the atrium. They're out there again today. Uh, we want everybody just to take one. It's just a real simple magnet that has the 52 on it. We want you to take it. We want you to put it on your fridge or on your mirror or, or on your bumper. If you have an old car that still has a metal bumper, you can put this on there too. But, uh, but just keep it in front of you because we wanted to remind you to pray and ask the Lord to help you to know what your part is to work in community with us to help rise and build. And so we are designed to thrive in all of our relationships. You know, someone said one time, you can live alone, but you can't thrive alone. You can't do it. We are not made for isolation. Now, I realize for some, the extroverts in the house, they're all hallelujah and, and amen and, and all that because they just love to be around people all the time. But there's those of us who've been wired in a way that we like to have our, our private time, our quiet time with nobody around. And that's fine. We're designed for that. But we can't live our life in isolation. There's a difference between having some alone time and living in isolation. And God did not call us that. We're called to thrive. And so over these four weeks, what, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take these the first three weeks, we're going to talk about different aspects of relationship. And then the, four, the fourth week, we're going to do a little something different. So today, we're going to talk about what I believe is the most important relationship that every one of us can have, and that's our relationship with Jesus, the intimacy that we have with Jesus. We're going to talk about that today and, and go into the next level in our relationship with him. Next week, we're going to talk about, since it's only two days away from Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about marriage and singleness. Amen and amen, huh? Well, I, I don't have all the answers for sure. I've been both. 
So I do have some answers, but I'm going to go to the word of God and let it give us our answers. Amen. Uh, marriage is a good thing. Singleness is a good thing. We want to, we want to encourage the single people in the house of what it means to thrive in single relationships. You know, marriage is not the pinnacle of life. It really isn't. It's a good thing. If it's, if it's working well, it's a good thing. But uh, Paul and Jesus both said it's better to be single. So for all of us that are married, I guess we missed the mark. Um, but no, we definitely want to encourage the single people in the house too. They have, you have a place in the church and in this world to where you can thrive as well. And then the third week, I'm going to talk about living in community, which is our relationships with our, our friends, our coworkers, uh, our, people, our friends in church, our extended family, and really learning how to thrive in community and being an effective person and having good relationships in our community. And then the last week, which is what I'm really excited about, because it's going to be something different, something we don't do here very often, but we're going we're gonna to shoot for the stars here. We're going to do a panel where we're actually going to have a, a, some people up here that are going to be receiving questions on relationships, whether it's relationship with God, marriage, dating, friendship, parenting, whatever it is, those relationships, we're going to ask you guys to text in your questions over the next three weeks, and we're going to compile all those questions. That's the number to text it to. You can even start now if you have any relationship questions. Normally, we would say, please don't text in church. Next three weeks, that rule has been lifted. You can text in church, okay? But only if you're texting these questions, young adults and kids, all right? Um, but we want you to be able to do that, and, and even during the week. Like, these, this number is active for the next month. So feel free to text those in. And we're going to compile all those questions. And then the last Sunday of the month, we're going to ask these questions to our panel, this, this expert, all-knowing panel that we have. Uh, you didn't know we had those kind of people in New Hope, did you? But, but we do. And, we're gonna, and, and I'm not one of the people on the panel as far as I'm concerned because I, I want to learn from these back here. So, so it's going to be a great Sunday. It's going to be a little different, but uh, we believe it's going to be exciting. So take advantage of that. We're going to keep that number up. It's going to be up off and on over the next few weeks. Um, and we want you to take advantage of that. So that all being said, I do want to jump into my message for today, which is, is about intimacy with God, and it's called going deeper. That's my message today, going deeper. How many of you know that God's desire for us is that we would go deeper with him? I, I'm, I'm so excited about this message because I'm so passionate about it, about that intimacy with God, with Jesus, that relationship that he wants for us, because I can attest personally how it's changed my life. For the first few years of my, my Christianity, my Christian walk, I had no idea that about Jesus really wanting to be intimate with me. I thought it was more about me just getting saved so that I don't have to go to hell and then trying my best to, to do the best I can the rest of my life. I had no idea that he actually wanted to have that relationship with me. And, and when I realized it and when it hit me and when it sank into my spirit, it changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. And the reason I'm passionate about this is because I know and I believe that a lack of understanding of Jesus and his relationship he wants to have with us as Christians is one of the biggest causes for turmoil in our life. Without question, it's one of the biggest causes. And I'm not saying when you're intimate with Jesus and you, it's just you and him and you're, you're doing great and you're pursuing him and you're growing your relationship with him, that all of a sudden everything's just going to go great. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I would say that Jesus said the opposite of that. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world, but you have to know the guy that's overcome the world. And so as we know him, we can know that he is going to help us through those situations, that we would have his heart in those situations that come along in our life. And so it's important that we uh, pursue him in that way. So I, I, the first question I'd like to ask you today, just to think about, I don't want to show hands, but have any of you ever been in a relationship where you wanted it to go deeper than the other person did? Okay, I, 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 I've actually had one of those um, a long time ago when I was 16 years old and I was in my youth group. Um, and we had a smaller youth group. There's about 20 of us, 25 if everybody showed up. And uh, we would have Bible studies on Wednesday night. We'd go into people's homes and have Bible studies. And, you know, we were a pretty tight-knit group because we it was smaller and we, everybody knew everybody. And there was one girl in our group that I was friends with. And, uh, but it, it didn't take me long to figure out that she was kind of a looker. And so I thought, well, it'd be nice to be a little more than just friends with this girl. And, uh, I, but I was 16 years old. I had acne and a bad haircut, so I would have never talk to her. I was very insecure about my appearance and, uh, and she was real cute and she was popular in school and all this, you know, so it was one of those things. It was kind of like, I would tell my guy friends about it, but I would never, ever have told her. You know, and it was just one of those things we kind of talked about. And, um, well, there was a Wednesday night that I, for whatever reason, I couldn't be there at Bible study that night. And, and, uh, the next day we went to school and one of my buddies from my youth group saw me at school and he came running up to me and he said, Hey, Last night you weren't there at Bible study, but I talked to her and I told her that you liked her and wanted to go out with her. 
And immediately my heart is in my ankles. And I'm like, why did you do that? What are you doing? You just ruined my life. I can't believe you. And then I stopped and went, oh, wait a minute. What'd she say? And he said, yeah, no, she just wants to be friends. And so I immediately went back to, why did you do that? I can't believe you did that. You just ruined my life. Oh my gosh, I can never go back to my youth group again. You know, so obviously I had to uproot and leave and never go back there again. That's how I got down to Georgia. Uh, no, that's not true. That's not how I got here. Um, but as you can imagine, I was devastated and mortified. Now, to, to talk about how it is when you're 16, I don't even remember what happened after that. I, it didn't change how I went to youth group. So probably within a week, I was probably on to somebody else. I don't even know. But, but that was one of those situations where I wanted to go deeper and she didn't. And I was rejected by it. Well, in our relationship with Jesus, it's the, it's the exact opposite. He's always wanting to go deeper with us. Always wanting to go deeper with us. If we're not deep with him... And we're not intimate with him. We don't know him. We're not pursuing him. We're not having that relationship where we feel like, yes, Jesus is my intimate God and friend. Then the, the, the fault lies with us because he will never reject us. He will always say yes. When you say, God, Jesus, I want to go to the next level with you. He's always saying yes. Yes, I'm ready to take you to the next level. I want to be there with you. I want to take you there. His answer will always be yes. But, you know, you cannot make anyone love you. You know that. Like when I was 16, if I could have made that girl love me or be attracted to me, I would have done it. But you can't do it. There's, there's nothing you could do to make somebody, you can't force somebody to love you. You could force them to comply with things you, you know, to, excuse me, to kind of go through the motions. But you can't make someone love you. And God's the same way. Like I know some of you are thinking, no, oh, that's crazy. God can do anything. Nothing's impossible for him. But the way he has set up the structure of, of humans is that we have to choose to love him. He doesn't overpower our will and make us love him because if he did, we'd all be walking around, everybody be saved, but we'd all just be walking around like robots. And that's not what he wants. You know, as a, as a husband, uh, the, what, what, makes, what makes marriage work for me is knowing that my wife really loves me and she wants to be with me. If she just did it because I told her she had to, it wouldn't have much zeal to it. It'd just be kind of going through the motions. And so we can't make people love us. And the same thing is that God can't make us love him. And some of you may say, well, what's the big deal? You know, what, I'm fine. I'm saved. I come to church. You know, I give in the offering. I try to be a good person. You know, I, I, I try to do the things that I think the Bible says. I try to read and I try to pray sometimes. So what's the big deal? Why do I need to go to this deeper level with Jesus that you're talking about? And my answer to that would be that I believe with all my heart that the, the level of joy and peace and contentment that you have in your life is directly proportional to your depth of relationship with Jesus. It is directly proportional to that. Basically, as deep as you'll go with Jesus will, will determine the amount of peace and joy that you can have in your life. That's the way God set it up. Now, again, it doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect for you necessarily, but it means that you can go through those situations with peace and joy. Uh, I've, been, I've been to the hospital a couple of times since Brother George has been admitted, and one thing I've noticed about the family is that there is a peace there. There's a peace. They're praying and they want, they want God to do his work. And they, want to do, they want a miracle, but they're at peace. You can just feel it. And it's, it's, and it's because of their depth of relationship with Jesus. You know, the people in the hospitals, the doctors, they always say they can tell when someone comes in, they can tell if the family are Christians or not. Because there's a level of peace that the Christians have because they know that they're trusting God in this situation. When you don't have Jesus and you don't have that relationship with them, it's panic because you, know, you don't know what to do. And you're, you're banking on the fact that the doctors will do everything they can do, but there's such, a, there's such an uh, uncertainty and an anxiety that comes with it when we can't lean on Jesus. But if we don't have that relationship with him to where we know him on that deep level, we don't even know how to lean on him. We don't know how to draw from him and draw our strength from him. And so that's why it's a big deal for us. And this is the most important relationship that you will ever have in your life is your relationship with Jesus. It's the most important one you'll ever have. So shouldn't we be giving it our, the most effort and attention and time that we can? Amen. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the difference between religion and relationship. Okay. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you grew up in church, you know that religion is kind of, it's kind of a messy word. We don't really like it. You know, you hear the, you hear the phrase all the time that religion is what killed Jesus. And it is. It was the religious zealots that thought Jesus wasn't lining up to what they thought they were, he was supposed to do, and so they were the ones that killed him. And so we, we have a bad taste in our mouth about religion. But the fact of the matter is that religion is, the Christianity is a religion. It is. So we are practicing religion to some degree. But the, the key for us as believers is to not 
let that be the sum total of our relationship with God. That the religious part of our practice is only uh, the beginning of our relationship with God. Um, Let me give you the definition of religion. It says it's a set of beliefs concerning a cause, usually involving devotional and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. Now, that's kind of a complicated definition, but what it boils down to is it's a set of beliefs, which is what we as Christians have. We, We believe in something, right? We believe in God, and it involves devotional and ritual observances. We, we, are, we do a lot of rituals as Christians, right? I mean, going to church is, is considered somewhat of a ritual. It's something we do on a consistent basis. Uh, taking communion is a ritual. You know, praying before you go to bed, praying with your kids, praying before a meal, that's kind of a, that's a ritual. You know, reading your Bible sometimes, that, that can be a ritual for us if, if it's just in the area of, of religion, which is a set of beliefs and rituals, and then finally the moral code. We all adhere to a moral code as Christians. Hopefully when you got saved, you stopped doing some of the stuff you were doing before because you realized, eh, this probably isn't good. And so we stay away from those things. So we do have a moral code. So Christianity is a religion. But where the difference comes and where that stops is really where the Christian walk comes in is where it's, we build that relationship with Jesus. R- relationship is the one thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions is that we can actually have a relationship with our God. We can actually know him. And not only can we know him, that's what he desires for us. He, everything he did was so that we could know him. And what, what religion does is it causes us to respect God. You know, billions of people around the world respect God. But respecting God, all, that's a death sentence. That basically leads you down a path away from God. Because God doesn't want our respect. Now, he does want respect from us. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says, you know, that the fear or uh, reverence, respect of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we use that verse all the time, and I I believe it. But there's a key word in that verse that we have to focus on. It says it's the beginning. So all these things, the respect for God, the, the rituals, the beliefs, the moral code, those are all good things, but that's only the very beginning for us. That's the beginning. Because respect, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would respect him. He died on the cross so that we would know him. Amen. He didn't die thinking, okay, well, if I go to the cross and die, then they'll respect me. He didn't do that for our respect. He did it because he said, okay, there's a chasm between me and man, and I got to do something to bridge this chasm. So I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay the price so that that chasm is closed up and they have access to me, not so that they can respect me and salute me. It's so that they can know me on an intimate level greater than they ever could have before. And that's why he went there for us. That's why he did it. And what happens with the Christians who have a respect for God is that we end up having kind of this undefined checklist if we're not careful. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to beat anybody up. I think we've all dealt with this at one time or another. Some of you may be dealing with it now. I know I have dealt with it. If we're not intentional about our relationship with the Lord, we can kind of get hung up on this undefined checklist, which, you know, it includes going to church. Um, you know, you try to have regular church attendance because it, it, it does kind of make you feel good. You know, it's a respect for God. It's a respect for the church. Um, if that's, you know, if that's why you would be going, uh, having a, a prayer life where it basically includes praying before meals and praying with your kids before they go to bed and maybe reading your Bible occasionally, um, things like that to where we can almost feel like we're, we're meeting a quota rather than really pursuing that actual relationship with him that he desires for us. And we have to be very careful with that because that's exactly what religion does. And if the extent of your relationship is those things and just kind of checking them off your mental list, then you've really missed the heart of God and what he wants for relationship with us. And again, sometimes even though we may know what he wants, we may know he desires that relationship, it's easy for us sometimes to to get caught up in the the rituals that that come with Christianity. And I want to encourage you today that... Uh, that, that God's heart for us is that we would thrive in our relationship with him. Yeah. It's that we would go to that deeper place with him. He desires that we would have that depth, that we would know him in such a way that, uh, that we would agree with what John the Baptist said, that I must become less so he can become more. Is that anybody's prayer in this house today? Is that your prayer today, that he would become more and you would become less? Because that's a scary thing to pray. That's a scary thing to say. Because for, if I got to get rid of some of me for him to be more in my life, that means there's going to be some discomfort sometimes. You know, it means I got to make some sacrifices. It means that I need to focus my life on him, that my life is not my own, and have an understanding that God's number one priority in my life is not for my happiness. 
Now, I didn't say he doesn't care if you're happy or not. I said his number one priority in your life is not for your happiness. It's that you would be his. And, you know, as parents, one of the things I, I've, I learned quickly as a parent is that if I just do everything in, in life to make my kids happy, then uh, I'm not setting them up for success. Amen. Because all I got to do to make my kids happy is give them candy for breakfast and dessert for lunch and more candy for dinner and let them stay up all night. And they'll be happy for a time. Right. For a short time. But, you know, the Bible talks about God being our loving father. So he underst- we understand, he gives us, as, as parents, he gives us that, a little bit of understanding of what it means in God's relationship to us. And understanding that he doesn't want to just make us happy, he wants to make us his. And I want him to do whatever it takes in my life to make me more his. Because there's still way too much of me. When I say, God, more of you, less of me, there's times I just feel like, man, if God exposes that, if he puts the light on what's all me, I I almost feel overwhelmed sometimes. Like, man, Lord, I just feel like there's still so much of me, but I want it to be you and not me. And the fact of the matter is we just can't put any confidence in our flesh because our flesh only wants what it wants for itself, right? We can't put confidence in the flesh. And I want to share a passage here with you from Paul in just a second. But I want to set the stage a little bit for Paul. The Apostle Paul, most of you know who he is. He wrote uh, about a third of the New Testament. And, and uh, he was a religious zealot and was very much persecuting the early church. And he, when he was doing that, he thought he was doing God a favor because he was very religious. And he saw these Christians as people that were not adhering to the rules of God. And so he persecuted them a lot. And he was one of the one of the most harsh persecutors of the church, so much so that his name was getting uh, was was spreading throughout town. That he was the one to avoid if you were a Christian. And then he had this miraculous experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus, he met Jesus in a powerful way, and his life was changed forever. And he became probably the most influential apostle of all times. And uh, and so here's a verse in Philippians three where he's talking about some of his some of the things he did, starting in verse four. It says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Okay, so let me stop right there just for a second. He's giving his resume of what he did in, his, in, in the religious sense. He was circumcised when he was supposed to. He was a Hebrew, so he was, a, he was one of the Jews. So he, you know, he had an upper hand on everybody already. He was a Pharisee, which took him to the next level. And then he says, in regard to the law, following the law, he was faultless. Now, the fact that he was able to do that is, I don't know, he's probably exaggerating a little because, you know, they started with 10 commandments, but by Paul's time, there was about eight gajillion. You know, there was just no way to follow all of the laws that they had perfectly. But he's saying here, basically, he's setting the stage saying, listen, I had it all together. I was the religious guy. In fact, if, you wanna, if he were the today, he would say, you know, I'm at church every week. In fact, every time the doors are open, I'm there. I'm the first one there. You know, I serve. I do everything I know to do. I read, I read 18 chapters a day in my Bible. Um, I pray four hours a day. I fast uh, 18 times a week. And uh, I do everything that I need to do, and I follow every rule. I've never, I've never cussed. I've never smoked. I've never drank. I've never done any of those things. I'm perfect. That's what he's saying here. I've done it all, guys. Well, then let's, follow, let's, let's look at the next verse in verse 7. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What a powerful conversion he had. He's basically saying, no, I did all this religious stuff before. He meets Jesus and then all of a sudden he says, you know what? All that stuff I said before, all that stuff I did that was perfect, garbage. Every bit of it. It's all garbage. Now, of course, he's not saying that, you know, following the law and and trying to be a a good religious person is a bad thing. That's good for all of us. We should all want to do those things that that part of the tenets of Christianity. But he's saying when you compare it to knowing Jesus, it's garbage. That's powerful, church. And when he says know Jesus, he's not talking about like a casual buddy. Like, yeah, I know him. You know, I'm Facebook friends with him. That's not who he's talking about. That word knowing there is the same word that's used back in Genesis where it talks about Adam knew Eve and they conceived a son. That's the same word. It's an intimate knowledge. 
It's, it's a very, it's the, it's the most deep level of intimacy you can have with another person. That's what he's talking about. So he's saying basically compared to having an intimate relationship with Jesus where he's everything to me, all this other stuff, the church, Bible reading, law, law doing, Pharisee work, it's all garbage compared to that. He had a revelation of how important it was, what it means to really know Jesus on that level. And I don't know about you guys, but that's what I want too. It's all about knowing him. It's all about our relationship with him. You know, this, this series this month is called Relationship Goals. I would ask you today, what is your relationship goal with Jesus? Do you want to go deeper with him? Do you want to know him on a deeper level? Not, not to say, not so you can say, yeah, I'm, me and Jesus, we're tight. But because you want to know him because of who he is and what he wants from us. And knowing that when we have that depth of a relationship, there's rewards there. Yeah. We get to know the guy who came and saved our soul, he actually wants to know us. He doesn't want to just make us a notch on his belt. He wants to know you. He's always looking to know you deeper. He's always, he's that guy like, like if you, if you did really, let's say you, you know, back in youth group, you did like somebody a lot and all of a sudden you found out they liked you too. And next and you know, your heart just starts beating a mile a minute. You're like, oh my goodness. I didn't know they liked me too. That's awesome. You know, that's how it is with Jesus. It's like the, the more that we want to know and love him, he's saying, yeah, I feel the same way. Let's do this. I'm ready. His answer is always yes to those things. And it's exciting for us. And the message of the gospel is clear. That Jesus came so that we could have intimacy with him. He wants us to be intimate with him. I want to read you uh, another passage. It's somewhat lengthy, but, but it's so good and so powerful. And it really helped change my life in a lot of ways. Uh, it became a life verse for me for quite some time. It's in John 15, 1 to 8. And this is Jesus talking here. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, this is a passage that is referring to the level of intimacy that Jesus wants with us. Okay? And this passage alone, you could preach probably a whole sermon uh, series on this, just, just the vine and the branches. There's so much good stuff in here. But I want to talk about just a couple key phrases out of these verses. First of all, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. That implies our dire need for Jesus. And again, it's not just for salvation. It's really not. If we were, if life was just about salvation, Pastor Bowen has said this many times, if it was just about salvation, the moment we get saved, we'd all get, we'd get whisked up into heaven and be over. It's not. It's about that relationship, walking out that salvation and living with Jesus. So him saying he's the vine and we're the branches is, is, implies that we have this dire, not, I mean, it's, it's crucial. It's, it's a matter of life and death, whether or not we're connected to the vine. Because you know what happens to a branch that's cut off from the vine? It dies. Now, it doesn't die right away. The life flow is stopped. But, you know, you cut a branch off a tree and you notice the leaves will stay green for a few days, sometimes even a week. But eventually that branch is going to wither up. And it's going to be nothing. And see, that's the danger for us as believers. Sometimes we can kind of disconnect and we can go on our momentum that we have, maybe some of the knowledge we have of God, and we, it can carry us for a while. But eventually you shrivel up because you have to stay connected to that vine. It is the lifeblood for us. It is our lifeline. And then the, the, another phrase that he says in there is remain in me. Okay, that word remain, some translations, it says abide in me. And that is such a, that's a powerful word. Jesus is saying there, he's not just saying, yeah, come get saved. And so you can go to heaven one day. And I'm going to, you know, once you get saved, I'm going to move on to the next guy. He's saying, remain in me, abide in me, know me on a deep, intimate level, dedicate your life to growing in your relationship with me. Because as you stay connected to me, you'll see that I'll continue to give you life and you will continue to bear fruit. You'll continue to blossom, but it's going to be, it's a process and it's a, it's, it, it changes over time because we, we, we bear fruit and he continues to feed into us. We bear more fruit and, and we recognize that we have that great need for him and that need for intimacy because that's what abiding is. 
And then thirdly, it says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is so important for us as believers because I, I, I said at the beginning, you know, some of you may say, well, why do I need to be so intimate with Jesus? What's the big deal? He's saying here, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, if you're not intimately abiding in me, you, the fruit in your life, there, there won't be any fruit. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, the fruit that we, that we produce in our life is a direct result of our connection to Jesus. And, and unless we stay connected to him, there's no way that fruit will ever flourish and, uh, and eventually there will be none. And he says, you know, he has some harsh words in here for, for those of us that, that get disconnected and what happens to those branches that are disconnected. And I would, I would suggest to you today, if, if you struggle with having fruit in your life, you know, maybe you feel like it's just hard for you to get traction, maybe in your Christian walk, you just, you feel like you do good for a little while, then you just kind of slip away and, and then you have to kind of have something happen to you to where you come back to God and say, oh yeah, God, that's right. I forgot you were there. You know, we just have a hard time getting that traction. I would suggest that this is probably the reason. Because if we're, not, if we're not connected to him, if we're not intimately interconnected with him, we're not going to produce that fruit. We, we won't see any of that in our life. And, so, and then finally, the last one is that if you remain in me, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is interesting because a cursory reading of this, you, know, you might think, oh, good. So if I'm, if I'm really pursuing Jesus in my life, I can ask for whatever I want. You know, I can say, Lord, I need a Mercedes. You know, I'm pursuing you and he'll just give it to you. Well, that's not any, that's not close to what this is saying here. Not even close. Now I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have a Mercedes. If, if that's what you want, you ask and, you know, God loves to bless us too. So if he gives you one, ask him if he can give me one too. Uh, but what, the, what this is saying here is that as we are intertwined with him, when we're, when we are connected to the, to the vine, okay, what happens is when you, when you see a branch, okay, um, let, let's talk, let's talk maybe about a peach tree since we're in Georgia. We don't see a lot of grapevines around here, but the, the analogy works. Let's say a peach tree, the, you got the trunk, then you got the branches coming off that trunk. The, the, the branch is connected to that trunk. So the branch, if it could speak, would never say, you know what? This year I don't feel like producing a peach. I'm going to produce watermelons. I just feel like that's what I want this time, you know? And if that's your will trunk, then, then let it happen because that's what I want to do. The, the branch would never do that. The branch knows what the trunk is there to produce for it or to give it so that it can produce. It's there to produce peaches. And so when it's intimately connected to that trunk, it knows, okay, my job here is to produce peaches. And that's what it does. And so as we are intimately connected with Jesus, we know, we will know what the fruit in our life is because ultimately the fruit is that we would have that intimate relationship with him. And see, so many times we want to know the will of God in our life. We all do. There's nobody here that doesn't want to know God's will for their life, right? We all want to know, God, what's your will? But so oftentimes when we, when we pray that and we're asking that and we're worried about that, it's more about where am I supposed to go? What's my, what am I supposed to do as a job? Who am I supposed to marry? How many kids should I have? You know, we, we talk about God's will when it comes to like life decisions. But let me tell you guys something. The will of God, according to this scripture for us, is that we would know him intimately. That is God's will for us. His will for us is much more about our relationship with him than it is about anything we'll ever do. Without question, that is his will for your life and it's his will for mine. And I can make a statement today that I believe with all my heart and I will believe it till the day I die is that when we are intimately connected with our Lord, we cannot miss his will for us. You will not miss God's will for your life if you pursue him first because he wants to be first. He says, seek me and my righteousness first and all these other things will be given to you. You will know his will. So what he's saying here, you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. What he's saying is you'll be able to ask whatever you wish because you'll know what the will of the father is because you'll be in, you'll be in tune with him. You'll know his, his will for you. And ultimately it is about your relationship with him. And so it's so important that we understand that, that God's plan for us is about being close and intimate with him and pursuing him. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I never, when I left home, when I was 20 years old, the Lord did not tell me, okay, you're going to go to Denver, Colorado for a little while. Then you're going to go to Africa for a little while. And then you're going to end up down in Augusta. You're going to be married to some Georgia girl. And then you're going to have a business for a little while. And then you're going to work at a church and it's all going to be good. He didn't tell me any of that. That wasn't what I asked him. I never asked to move to Augusta, but praise God I'm here now and everybody's excited about it, right? All right. <laughs> it remains to be seen, right? The jury's still out. But, uh, but you know what? What I did was I had this revelation from this passage about, okay, God, your will for me is for me to seek you and pursue you. 
and just know you. He just wants to meet him. And when I got to knowing him and I started seeing his heartbeat, I started thinking, and then all of a sudden my heart started to be, oh, well, you know what? I really, I'm kind of drawn to missions. I'm really drawn to the lost. Like there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And so my heart took me out to youth with a mission out in Colorado. And next thing I knew, I, I met a girl that seemed pretty cool and I married her and we moved to Augusta, you know, and, and God just kind of directs your paths as we seek him. I didn't ask him, hey God, can I move to Augusta, please? I really want to live close to the masters. You know, I never said that. In fact, when I found out I was moving here, I didn't even really know anything about Augusta except the masters. But I believe I'm right in the center of God's will for me because I love him and I pursue him and I'm living for him. So that's his plan for us. So uh, let me quickly talk to you about the warning that he gives us against mediocrity. And I'll, I'll do my best to finish on time here. He gives us a warning against mediocrity because, you know, for us, I think the biggest danger for us as believers is get to that place of mediocrity and get that place where we're just kind of, hmm. You know, yeah, I love God, and I definitely stick up for him, and, and I feel like I love him, but we're not, really not willing to put in the time, the effort to really deny ourselves to where we're really going after him and really being able to say, yes, more of you, God, less of me, to really get to that place. That's our danger. And so let me read a verse in Revelation 3, verse 15 to 20. This is Jesus talking. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's a pretty stern word from our Lord, right? And I know a lot of us, you know, if you don't know the context of that verse, it's easy to think, oh, he's talking to non-Christians. He's talking to those guys that are just riding the fence, you know, and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know what I want to do yet. I'm just going to wait for a while before I decide if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. It's, it's, that's not who he's talking to at all. This letter is for the church in Laodicea. This letter is to Christians, okay? That's the first thing we need to really understand is that this is a letter to us, New Hope. Okay, this might as well be the church of New Hope because he's writing it to believers. And he's saying that he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Lukewarm here is basically means indifference and compromise. Okay, those are two of the words that, that describe what he's talking about here. To be indifferent about our relationship with the Lord or to constantly compromise. You know, uh, for some of us, it's, it's, it's so hard sometimes. You know, we got, we got one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord and we're being pulled in both directions. And depending on the week of the year, the, the world kind of wins. And then the next week, you know, the church or, or our relationship with Jesus wins. And, and we're just kind of riding that fence because we're just too afraid to really jump in and commit everything we are to him because we're afraid of what that might mean. That's a lot of us. And I'll be honest with you, church, I've been there. Uh, I mean, it's not like you all of a sudden you get, you get hot and you just stay there and you just soak in the hot tub for the rest of your life. You know, there's always flesh. There's always the enemy trying to pull us over to this side. You know, I've been madly in love with Jesus for 20 years. And I had plenty of times where I found myself over here in the world going, whoa, wait a minute. You know, the Lord had called Joy and I to business for 12 years. We had a business. And when it was doing really well, there was times where I was like, oh yeah, I'm get used to this. I saw talking to her about retirement and, and doing things we want to do and really start getting, uh, I, I felt greed kind of sneaking into my life. And I was over here in the world and I was loving Jesus. I love Jesus, but I, I had one foot in the world and I wasn't really willing. There was times I wasn't willing to kind of let him pull me back over here because I knew I would have to make sacrifices over here that I didn't really want to make. And it would take me some time, some time. In fact, a lot of times it took my wife beating me over the head saying, what are you doing? (laughs) Praise God for a good wife that's not afraid to beat her husband over the head. Amen. (laughs) I'm so thankful for that. But but that's our danger. That's where we get sometimes. We got to get in this this middle of the road comfort zone, you know, where, yeah, I'm a Christian, but uh, I kind of like, you know, I'm I'm kind of really into this stuff over here. And these things of the world don't have to be these huge sins. I'm not talking about you're going out on the weekends getting hammered or doing all kinds of crazy lasciviousness. I'm just talking about things in the world that draw us away from our relationship with him. Things that aren't necessarily bad, but things that will draw us away from him. You know, in, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that we are to throw off the things that hold us back, throw them off. And he says, and the sin that so easily entangles. So it's not just sins that keep us away from that deep relationship with Jesus. And don't be deceived to think that it is. It can be anything. 
It could be, it could be going, it could be churchy things that could keep us from our relationship with Jesus. And we have to be careful of that. And God knows that everybody that's on a church staff knows that sometimes church staff can keep you from your relationship with Jesus because you're so focused on the work of the church that you're not even really pursuing him. And you look up one day and you realize, my goodness, I don't even know Jesus anymore because I don't spend any time with him because I'm too busy worried about everything that has to do with the church. And so we have to be careful of that because that's exactly what the enemy would want from us. And I could tell you that deep down, there is no more miserable person in the world than a lukewarm Christian. There's just not. They're the most miserable people in the world because they, they have just enough of Jesus to know that they shouldn't be in the world. And they got just enough of the world to know they can't give everything to Jesus. And so you're miserable because you're in this constant tug of war. You know, I shouldn't really be on the fence, but I just, I'm just gonna kick the can down the road. You know, we're just gonna keep kicking it down the road and see how long I can go before I really have to make a decision, you know? And so it makes you miserable. And so when we're lukewarm, we're miserable. It's not Jesus saying, it, one of the reasons he doesn't want us to be lukewarm is because he knows that. He knows that when we're lukewarm, we're miserable people because that's not how we've been designed to be. We're designed to thrive in our relationship with him, but we can't thrive if we got one foot on this side of the fence and one foot on the other side. That's not what we're designed to do. And, you know, I struggled with it for a while, that verse about lukewarm, because, you know, Jesus is saying in this verse that he wishes you were cold rather than lukewarm. That doesn't make sense in my mind because I think, well, at least if I'm lukewarm, at least I got one foot over here. You know, at least I'm not all the way over here in the world just doing whatever I want. And Jesus is saying, no, I'd rather you were cold. And I believe the reason for that is, and from what I can understand from what the, the Bible scholars say, is that what he's saying here is that when you're lukewarm, you're just comfortable. You know, you think about getting in a shower. The water's lukewarm, feels good. You're just good to stay there and stand there for a while. You get in the shower and the water's cold. I don't know about you guys, but I'm hopping right back out. I don't care who's around either. I cannot take a cold shower. It does not work for this guy. And the thing is that if it's cold, then you realize, the idea is that eventually you'd realize, okay, something's out of place here because I'm cold. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't be shivering. And it'll cause you to know and see your need to get on the other side over here, to get on the hot side, that you'd see your need for Jesus if you're cold. But when you're lukewarm, you can stay in that place for decades, for a lifetime. You can stay in that place of lukewarmness all the while not realizing you're, you're squandering all your time. And in some ways, you're not even serving the Lord. So, some lukewarm Christians, they're not even, they're not even saved. They're going to they're gonna be really shocked on judgment day. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that should, that should really break our hearts as believers. Because that is, Jesus did everything that he needed to do for us so that we could be hot. I want to be hot. I want to be on fire. I want it to be where people that even come around me, they're like, man, whatever you got, I want some of that. I mean, my goodness, I don't know how you do this. I want it. So that we would be infectious with other people. And so he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. So in closing, let me just say that his desire for us is that we go deeper. He wants all of us to go deeper. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 10 minutes or 50 years, he wants to be even deeper with you. He is that person that, that has a huge, huge crush on you and wants you to reciprocate it. I know that's kind of a crude way of saying it, but that's, that's what he wants. He wants to go deeper with us. And verse 20 in that passage, is, I, I love it. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is standing at the door. Now, again, guys, remember this, he's talking to Christians. Okay. So as believers, he is standing at the door and knocking and wants us to open the door. He's just knocking. He'll just knock and knock and knock. Hey, but he will not kick the door in. He will not force his way in. He is waiting for us to give him that invitation. He's saying, I want to go deeper with you. I'm knocking. There's, there's areas of your life that you won't give me. I'm knocking on that door. I want you to open that door and let me in because I want to go to the deeper places with you. But he, the doorknob is only on your side. He, he will not open that door on his own. And you know, the crazy thing about it, when he knock, if he knocks long enough, you can actually get to the point where you don't even hear it. You know, as a parent, your kids make noise all the time. And after a while, you can almost tune it out. And then when you don't realize it until somebody that doesn't have kids comes to your house and goes, whoa, man, they're really freaking out upstairs. And you go, oh, I didn't even notice. It's the same thing. You know, Jesus will just, he'll knock all the time. But after a while, we can just get used to that knocking and not even think anything of it. But he's constantly saying to us, will you go deeper? I want to come into those deep places with you. And I want to take you to the next level. I want, I want you to know me like I know you. And it, that's there for us, church. It's there. He's not a, some distant God. He's not... He's not just the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. 
He's the one that did, he, he loved us so much and wanted that relationship with us so much that he did everything that needed to be done so that we could have it. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. I'm gonna ask the, the band to come. And in conclusion, I just wanna reiterate that we were created for intimacy with God. That's why you were created. Next to salvation, it is the most important thing you will, the, the most important part of your life is your intimate relationship with him. And you know, we're in the month of February and we're gonna be talking about relationships and, and what better way to start off the month than to talk about how much Jesus loves us and wants to be in a deep, intimate, personal relationship with us. And I believe that all of us have areas in our life that we haven't been willing to turn over to him because it's just, it's a little scary for us. And we like to kind of hang on to that. And I just want to challenge you today that, that if, if you will answer Jesus' knocking, he will come in. He doesn't come in and, and, and yell at us and say, I've been staying outside forever. Why didn't you let me in? He comes in as gentle as a lamb and says, now, now that you've opened the door for me, now we're ready. And I will walk with you. I will show you what it means to be in a deep place with me in all these areas of your life. So I'm gonna invite you to that today. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come quickly. I know we're, we're already at 1230. We've got a couple more minutes and we'll be done. Just bear with me for a minute. Uh, if you need prayer for anything today, come. You feel free to come to the altar. You can pray on your own or you can, you can pray with a leader. They'll be happy to pray with you for whatever you need. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you don't know anything about having an intimate relationship with him, please don't leave today without coming and giving your heart to him be the best decision you'll ever make. He paid the price so that you could know him, know the loving father that he is. But for those of you that want to go to that deeper place with him, if you just want to go deeper with God, I want to invite you to come to the middle here and I want to pray for you because I believe that, that the, the plan, that God is here today to give us that ability to be able to, to step out in faith and trust him and, and let him open and open that door that he's knocking on so that he can come in. Maybe you've been lukewarm. Maybe you've been, had one foot in the world and one foot in, 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 with Jesus and you want to just commit today to taking that foot out of the world and going over to the hot side. You know, maybe you've, maybe you've slipped away and, and kind of you realize that you're, you're more religious than you are actually in relationship with Jesus. And I want you to come and pray. You can come now. Or maybe you're doing great with Jesus and you feel good and you guys are, you're in love with him and having a good time, but you just want to go deeper. You just want to go deeper. Or maybe there's an area of your life that you just haven't been able to surrender to him. You want to be able to do that today. I'm going to invite you to come so we can pray. I want to pray for you. I believe God will help you with this as we step out in faith and we trust him. You were created for intimacy. You're created that you would thrive in your relationship with Jesus. That's what he designed us for. I'd like to say to you today, you know, if you know the story of the, uh, the children of Israel roaming in the desert for 40 years, you know, they were supposed to take the promised land. There was some sin. And God said, basically, he was gonna make them roam for 40 years until that generation died off. And they just roamed around the desert for 40 years. And uh, there was a cloud that guided them by day and a, pill and a fire by night. And, you know, that cloud or fire would settle and they would set up their camp and they would stay there. And as soon as that cloud or, or the pillar moved, they'd have to pick up camp and move. And they, I, don't, it's count, I don't know how many times they had to do it. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but they had to do it a lot. And every time they moved, you know, they had to reset up the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the, the portable version of the temple. It represented the presence of God. And, and the, the crazy thing was every time they had to set up camp, it was very important that the tabernacle was set up in the very middle of the camp. It had to be exactly in the center of the camp with all the people camped around it. Every time when they'd move, they had to do it again. And they put it in the exact center and all the, camp, the tents would be out around it. And the reason that they, he, he made them put it in the center every time was because it resembled exactly what God's heart is, that he wants to be in the center of our lives. He wants to be in the center in your heart. He wants to be the heart of who you are. He wants to be in the middle of everything. And you know, the great thing about it is, you know, that back, back then, the only people that could go there were certain levels of intimacy that the, the tabernacle represented. You know, some people could go into the outer part, some people could go into the inner, a few people could go to the next section and only one could go to the, to the most holy place, the holy of holies. Only one person could go in there. There was different levels depending on who you were. And the beauty of, of God and Jesus and what he did for us is that those levels are gone now. 
you don't have to be an Israelite. You don't have to be a Hebrew. You don't have to be a, you know, the tribe of Levi. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be any of those things to enter into that most intimate place with Jesus. We don't have to be any of those. All you have to be is somebody that's willing to open your heart and say, okay, Jesus, I want that. I want to go to that place with you. And when we do that, he opens up the door and says, come on in. I'm ready. I want it too. I want it worse than you do. I've been waiting for this for 2,000 years. I've been waiting for you to do this because now I'm ready. And I'll give it to you. I'll give you whatever you want. His answer is always yes when we say we want to go to that deeper place with him. So let's pray. Church, help me pray with these people here at the altar. They're going to play music behind us. We're going to, when we're done praying, they're going to, we're going to sing again. You're, you're free to go when you're ready, but we're going to, we're going to sing for a little bit. We just want to, uh, we just want to be here as long as the Lord wants us to be here. So Father, we just thank you today that you are, you're not only real, but you you are ever present and you are always desiring that deeper relationship with us, God. We thank you that we don't have to meet some certain criteria. We don't have to come from a certain people group. We don't have to come from some socioeconomic group. We meet the criteria just by being human beings to know that you want to be that intimate relationship with us, that, that we can come into the tabernacle, we can come into the Holy of Holies to be with you if we will open the door for you as you knock, God. And I pray for everybody at this altar today. God, I pray that they would be able to go deeper with you. They'd be able to go to that next level, to be able to trust you, Father. Lord, I ask that you would help them to let you into those places in their life that they might not have allowed you to come into before. I pray that you would give them the courage, the faith, the strength to be able to let you into those places. God, we know that when you come into those places, you make them better. You show us your heart. You take us to those deeper places with you. It brings joy and peace, indescribable. Father, I pray that you would do that for everyone at this altar today. And Lord, for those that didn't come that need that, Father, I pray you would touch them. Lord, I pray you would touch them by your spirit. God, would you take us to those places, Lord? We want to go deeper with you, Jesus. We want you to be the number one priority in our lives. We want to, we want to say more of you and less of me. More of you and less of me, Lord. In every area of my life, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for not being willing to settle for just the religious part of Christianity, but be willing to come and pave the way so that we can know you in the most intimate level possible. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that it is for this lifetime, not just in the next life. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. I believe the Lord's going to help you this week. He's going to open those areas for you. He's going to take you to that deeper level as you trust him. I pray that you would just open your heart to him in a way you never had before, and you'll see his faithfulness in your life. Hallelujah. Praise God.